0: Orlando. Orlando. Welcome, to the Ozone. welcome to the Ozone, welcome to the Ozone, welcome to the Ozone, welcome to the Ozone, the voice of magic fans,
1: fans. Welcome back to another episode of the Ozone podcast, the voice of magic fans, episode 15. What's going on everyone? What's what going up? on? So this podcast is only going to be three of us um, today. So just a quick roll call. We got Justin, yep, Al, hey, what's going on, and myself, Anthony. And I'm thinking that we should just jump right into it. How does that sound? Let's
2: do it. Sounds good. All right,
1: right, cool. So um, for our icebreaker of this podcast, um, are in the ozone. Who is your all-time unobvious? favorite Magic player? And what I mean by the unobvious, can't say the Penny Hardaways, can't say the Tracy McGrady's, your favorite unobvious Orlando Magic player?
2: Unobvious. Uh, for me, man, it's got to be Mutt Barnes. Uh, people are going to look at me and be like, what? But I just feel like he was a guy that at the time brought something that this team needed. This really, this franchise needed a tough guy, a guy that changed the culture around here. He got in players' faces, whether it was LeBron or Kobe. He just really stepped up and, and, and changed this Disney culture that our team has. Um, and I just loved him. And he was just a guy that brought it every single night. Uh, he reminds me a bit of MCW, uh, but in a different way. He was a different guy. So that's, that's my
1: choice. That's, a, that's actually a really good choice. I, I was a big Matt Barnes fan. 'Cause he was that he was that gritty player that he was the he was one of the enforcers. He would get into Kobe's face, talks talk trash to him. He wasn't afraid of nobody. When we brought Matt Barnes on board, I'm like, man, that's exactly what this team need. Because you're you're right, we were looked at as as soft Mickey Mouse the whole nine. So Matt Barnes is a good choice. What about for you, Justin?
0: So funny story about Matt Barnes. So I was actually in um LA last August. Um, and my brother who lives out there, he, he actually rented a beach house for us in Newport beach. And, um, so we go out there, it's like a two story thing and guess we're staying in the second floor. I guess who's staying in the first floor of the, of the house.
1: Matt Barnes. (laughs) Matt Barnes. Yeah. Um, he
0: was, (laughs) he was, um, with his whole family, um, super nice guy, like would stop, sign autographs, take pictures with people, um, never had an issue. I didn't approach him because I, you know, he was with family. I kind of wanted to give him that time, but other people did. um, He was willing to talk and hang out with everybody. It was super cool. Uh, One of my players, I guess, not so obvious, uh, Rashard Lewis, probably. I never talk about him, but he's, he's a guy that, um, you know, a lot of people liked. I liked the when he was on the supersonics from what I can remember as a kid, because I was young, Uh, but he was a guy that could light it up. And if you, if you, know the players that i like there's a kind of common thread and it's they all could shoot uh rashard lewis is one of those guys
1: yeah, for me rashard lewis was one of the first groundbreaking stretch fours in the nba i i consider him the godfather of stretch fours um initially when we brought him over um he did not want to play the power forward you know he was yep. a small four for the for the supersonics and when stan van gundy said we're gonna put you at four. He was like, all right, I mean, if that's what y'all want me to do, I I guess. And it's something that worked out and you know, it's one of the strengths that we had it at the time. Um, for me, my favorite unobvious player for the magic is uh skip to my lu Ray for all. Oh, yeah. Oh yeah. And that was my that was my guy. When Jameer Nelson went down, um, Otis Smith, one of his first moves that he made was um signing Tyron Liu. When we signed Tyron Lou, I'm like Tyron Lu to replace Jameer Nelson. That was Jameer Nelson's year where he made the all-star game. I'm like, what the hell is Tyron Lu gonna <laughs> do for the magic? Right? Because our team was really good. And I, I don't I don't know how much time it was in between. I don't remember. I want to say it was a maybe a week or so. Um and you know, we get the report that you know we signed Ray for Austin. And Ray for Austin, that was at a time when and one was such a big deal with mm-hmm. hot sauce and, and all of them. And he was, he was the only one to make it, like, to the pro basketball from, you know, from that group. And, man, that, that dude, the way that he played, and you know, I get that Jameer Nelson, big fan, Penny Hardaway, big fan. But rayfer Austin is one of my favorite point guards. And granted, you know, he didn't play with us a whole lot, but he was one of my favorite point guards for the Magic. Him rocking that number one, too. So it was like rayfer Austin, without a doubt. Carried this thing. If it wasn't for him, we would have never made it to the finals the way that we did. Kept us afloat. Um, there was that. There was this one one moment that was one of my favorites when he was playing against. We were playing against the Celtics, and he was guarding Eddie House. <laughs> and there was a play. I forgot what happened, but he slaps Eddie Eddie House across the head, and they kind of went at it. You know, it was just, <laughs> just that gritty attitude that you know I don't feel any of our players have that I really miss. And Rayford Austin was just that guy.
2: That's right. He had a little bit of that bad Barnes to him, but in a different way. Again, he, he was a stylish player. He was a dude that, again, wasn't afraid of whoever he had to face. He would just hit him up with a crossover and, and shoot a step back three. Uh, like you said, we don't have guys like that in our team right now. But again, you, you need those guys, though.
1: Yeah, while, while we're on that subject. So who would you then say is your least favorite mag- Magic player of all times? Least favorite.
2: Oh, man. Um, so, my least favorite guy. So, this, is, this goes back to when I first moved to Orlando back in 2016. We got season tickets since year one. And I remember clearly saying to my wife, like, hey, listen, like, there's one dude in this team that I just, I don't know why. I just don't want him. Like, I want us to trade him. I don't know. I can't see myself supporting that player. And that is Nikola Vucevic. What? And it is 2020 now, four years later. <laughs> And the same thought process comes to mind every time I go to <laughs> Mway. I'm like, why am I four years seem to into, into every game and I still can't get to like him? Like he's an amazing dude. He's a great human being. All that. You're the basketball of, court.
1: Out of every single magic player to ever put on the pinstripes, Nikola Vucevic is your least favorite. The I'm only kidding. the only all-star player to play on this <laughs> roster in the last 20 right. years.
2: That- he- He's a, least favorite player. To me, that's a <laughs> fluke, man. That also a game was a fluke. Uh, I don't know. He just, he, to me, he's an empty stat pattern. Like he's a dude that averages 20 and 12, but yeah, we're 10 games on the 500.
1: Like I, it's been the same story no, for four know, years. You bring up a good point because he's probably one of the only players I can ever, I can really think about that can drop 25 and 10 and still feel like he had a bad game. <laughs> yeah. I mean, look at last game against the Milwaukee Bucks. Like you look at
2: the numbers. Great. You look at the game you're like can we please get him off the court like so that's my issue it's like i see the numbers i like it it never has led to success it never has led to winning um so i don't know man and then we paid him 100 million on top of that
1: oh man oh you you believe you yeah, that's funny that you say that so we gave nikola vucvic a hundred million dollar contract but we wouldn't give Shaquille O'Neal... Oh,
2: God. Not, <laughs> let's not go there. The $100 million contract. Wait,
1: back that's,
0: that's not fair, though, right? Because the times are I, different.
1: Yeah, yeah, I get it. I'm just it, Facts are facts. We, it didn't happen. It didn't happen for him. It happened for Vuk. But let me ask you this. If Vooch
2: right now was demanding... If Vooch was playing like Shaq in those days, and Shaq told you, I got to get $160 million, man, like, whatever it takes, $200 because he's a dominant dude. He's a game-changer player. You got to pay that dude. I mean, look at Steph Curry, highest paid dude in the NBA for a reason, though. I felt like Shaq back then was deserving of that. But either way, my answer is Nikola Vucevic. I know people are going to listen to this and be like, what are you talking about? But it's my honest answer.
1: Oh, That (laughs) caught me by by surprise, Al. I told you. I told you. Yeah, that that (laughs) caught
0: me by surprise, too. I definitely thought you were going to say Fournier because of all that's, the all of the messages I get from you.
1: That's number two. <laughs> all right. Justin, what about you?
0: Uh, for me, I might catch some heat for this one from the hardcore Magic fans. Uh, but mine would probably be Hito Turkoglu. Uh, And that would be – I know. I know. He was one of the most important players to the history of this team. Um, but he was just – boring to me like and i you know he was he was a guy that was slow he i don't know in today's nba (laughs) he don't would be riding the bench but um
1: you have luka down that plays just as slow you're talking talking about you're talking about turkey jordan right now oh my god (laughs) you're disrespecting turkey Turkey,
0: turkey jordan based on popularity but when i watched Hito Turkoglu play it. It wasn't entertaining. He would hit big shots, right? There was no question that he could shoot the ball. Um, it was just his play style. I, I wasn't. I wasn't too crazy about. So that would probably be my least favorite. Um, and again, I'm not. I'm not negating or ignoring how important he was to, uh, you know, a kind of uh, of a winning streak for this for this team, um, and the culture and history of this team. But as a player, I w- wasn't a fan
1: disrespecting Turkey Jordan <laughs> shame on you so um for me I'm gonna I'm give you two and there's a reason why I'm gonna give you two all right the first one I'm gonna kind of give you I'm a, I'm gonna give it to you as a pop quiz all right so it's probably be good for the listeners too so this player was drafted by the magic in 2005 and we used it with our 11th pick in the draft oh yes so that's
2: your boy uh from Spain,
1: you remember his name?
2: Fran Vasquez.
1: Hey, hey, Al! Look at, <laughs> look at you, Al! Fran, hey. mother loving Vasquez. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's, it's crazy because I I had to look up the draft year. It's been a while. Two thousand and five. That was a really really long time ago. And Fran Vasquez, till this day, you know how old he is now. Oh, God, he has to be 30 something,
2: 32, 33?
1: 36 years yeah. old. Yeah. Yeah. 36 years old. And he held on to it. Like, we're talking about like last mid and nine, going to come over. Let's see what happens in two years, three years, five years. And if you look at it, we missed out on, on some decent players. It was kind of a weak draft, right? After Fern Vasquez, we were looking at players like Danny Granger, Hakeem Warwick, Nate Robinson, uh, players like... Nah, that's it. That was, that was the best one. <laughs> but not a whole lot, right? But the fact that he played us by far 100%, still to this day, one of my least uh, favorite Magic players, but he never put on the uniform. Now, if I am going to say a player that did put on the uniform and I'm surprised none of you said it, but Big Baby Davis. I hmm. man, I hate I hated Big Baby Davis. E- everything about him. There's only one moment that I like from Big Baby Davis. I want to say it was like one of his first games. Oh, I but
0: thought he, you were gonna definitely mention the ripping the turkey leg off and biting into that. Uh, <laughs> that's <laughs> iconic.
1: Me, yeah, to me that's corny. Nah, for me it was. Um, he had a big play. It was an N one. He ended up falling on the floor and he slid like Shamu. Right. <laughs> <laughs> that was a sea world reference and to me that was that was the only moment but after that he was just a headache off the floor he had the incident in the hotel room where he grabbed um he was at the the hotel front entrance and he grabbed the computer slammed on the floor he was all upset There's just a lot of things about big baby davis that i didn't like i saw an interview that he did i want to say about three four months ago and uh he, he was telling the story because that's this was outside of his rookie contract that he got from Boston. And the Magic, we were the first mm. team to really pay him out. And it was the first time that he really made millions of dollars, right? And he says that the very first thing that he did, once he got the Magic contract, is that he went to the bank. He took out a million dollars. I don't know what bank does that. Does, maybe it was your bank. I don't know. Not I don't know what bank. bank does it, right? <laughs> uh, I'm, pretty, I'm pretty familiar with banks. And not a whole lot of banks will just give you a million dollars in cash. But he says he got it. He went into his room and just threw out a million dollars on his bed. And you know what he did? He laid in it. Laid on it. Yep. Yep. Laid on a million dollars. He even said he got paper cuts from it. And just everything about Baby Davis I wasn't a fan of.
0: Yeah. So you you didn't like Big Baby Davis because he was a big baby. Okay. I got you.
1: He was a big baby. He was (laughs) outside of the floor, on the floor. He was a smaller, big dude. Utilized his weight. To me... He wasn't. He didn't take anything serious. Not a fan yep. of Big Baby Davis. And a, and back then, this was a player that Dwight Howard wanted on his team. You see, my mine were legitimate players that people would consider bad players, not Hedo Turkoglu and not Nikola Vucevic.
0: That's fair. That's fair. Hey. Not going to change my opinion, but it is what it is. But
1: it's fair, <laughs> I'm gonna I'm work on it. But uh, let, let's jump into some more uh, magic basketball discussion. So, um, jumping into the numbers, so our current record is 22 and 31. Believe it or not, we're still holding on to the eight seeds. We're two games behind the Brooklyn Nets. Offensive points per game, we're sitting at 103.1 at 29th in the league, three point percentage, 33.4 at 28th. In the league, offensive rating 104.9, 29th in the league. <clears throat> For defense, points allowed 104.9. We got a first in that category. Blocks 5.8, which puts us at fifth. And then defensive rating 107.1, which has us seventh in the league. This past week, we had games against Miami, um, which was a 102 to 89 loss. Monday against Charlotte, 112 to 100 win. Wednesday at Boston, 116 to 100 loss. Thursday against the Knicks, 105 to 103 loss. And then Saturday's game against Milwaukee, which was 112 to 95 loss. So since our last podcast, we had a total of five games that were played. Um, what were some of the things that you guys saw that you liked and disliked?
2: Man, there's been a lot to dislike over the past uh, five games. Uh, I think the only team we've beaten is Charlotte. And that's the same case for, I think, over the past three weeks. We've only been in the Hornets twice. Um, It's just been the team just doesn't look like themselves. They look tired. They look like they're not engaged. They're not on the same page. Um, So I think this team really needs the all-star break for them to start clicking once again. Uh, But we are losing a lot of ground in the playoff, in the playoff race. Uh, So we have to get it together soon. Otherwise it might be too late.
0: So, I agree. I think um, one of the things that i 've seen this week from the team is that even though they 're trying uh, it's pretty apparent that there's just not enough offensive weapons on this team um, there's there 's moments where they get hot and you know they keep up with with teams. Um, they fought back from being almost thirty points down against the bucks um, at one point, so you do see the effort um, like i said there's just not enough weapons I think um that now we saw Gary Clark during that, that Bucks game, for example, take a few like open shots, open threes. He hit a, um, I think he hit a few of those. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's looking more confident. I think he's definitely going to help us on the defensive end because, again, his effort is there. Um, but I definitely see if, if James Ennis is integrated correctly, I definitely see where he could help us offensively.
1: So of the last ten games, we've lost eight of them. Right now, it honestly feels as if this is a, a boxing match and we're just kind of like hugging the the fighters so that we don't get knocked out. Right? Clinching. We're trying clinching. Yeah. <laughs> ah, <appreciate you. laughs> hugging the boxer, right? That's that's <laughs> honestly that's honestly what it feels like. And you're right. I think that this team desperately needs the all-star break. Um, just so that we can kind of mold in James Ennis where he's comfortable enough. And this is us talking before he even actually plays a game. Um, I know a lot, of, a lot of us were kind of disappointed at the fact that we didn't make any splashy moves, but I do like the James Ennis move for a simple mm-hmm. fact that, you know, it's, it's, it's filling a void that this team needed and forces us to be able to utilize our players in their best position so that they're able to be successful. And that's us really looking at Aaron Gordon, right? So not having him play the three, him playing his four of natural position, and then having a player like James Ennis, who's able to provide veteranship, can shoot the ball, plays really good defense, and uh, as you guessed, is someone that has a long wingspan that fits the criteria of this Magic front office. But it's been it's been brutal, you know. The game against the Knicks, I really, you know, it's a game that I felt. That one is the New York Knicks. Who's their be- their best player is a rookie, right? Granted, RJ Barrett is a hell of a talent, but outside of RJ Barrett, they just traded one of the Morris' brothers, right? We're getting we're getting stopped defensively by Alfred Payton. Oh God, Alfred Payne was El- Alfred Payne was tearing us up, right? <clears throat> but this isn't a team, whether it's home or away, that should have hung in with us. And granted, yeah, it was it was an issue with the referees that you know they didn't call the timeout and. You know, the players made it obvious, the coach made it obvious, and they weren't looking, paying attention, whatever the case may be. But that's why we can't we can't allow these games to be in the hands of the referees. If we allow the end of the game to be in the hands of the referees, stuff like this happens. Instead of us being able to take it, you know, take not necessarily take it serious, but taking care of business. And I feel like that's not what we've done. The issue of this team since the very beginning is that we struggle to beat the teams that we're supposed to beat. Talent wise, on paper, our team is a lot better. We don't look like a playoff team, period, and we haven't looked like it for a minute now.
0: So, one of those, one of the things that I would say, um, there's this idea that the Knicks are a dumpster fire, right? But that's if you if you really look at at the team, um, you look at the coach coaching change uh, since Fizdale's been gone. Um, this team is playing like an entirely different team. They played Atlanta today, and they lost in double overtime, I think, by like a point or two, maybe actually like four or so points. Um, but New York is playing with more energy. Um, Alfred Payton is, is a good player. Um, I don't know. I, I'm, not, I'm not saying that New York is going to make a push for the playoffs or anything like that. They are just five games behind, so it's not totally out of the question. Um, and today would have made a five-game win streak for them had they won so things are changing i think i think that when we play teams you know at the outside of that playoff window um in the east you still have to play them as if they're striving to make the playoffs because it is so close you know a five game difference we've won what two out of the last 10 games that that's a change that can happen overnight you know what i mean like a couple a week or two and all of a sudden you're back in the playoff race or you're entirely out of it And I think New York is playing like a team that, you know, thinks they have a chance. Um, And when when you go against a struggling team like Orlando, that's the opportunity where you could kind of pounce on them. You know what I mean? It was one of those situations where, yeah, Steve Clifford didn't get that that timeout at the end of the game. And like you said, we realistically shouldn't have even been in that situation. Um, But again, that's that shows the struggles offensively of this team more so than anything else.
1: So Nate, needless to say, these, these last, this past week of games wasn't, wasn't anything to be excited for. The game against Boston was nationally televised, and it was another game that was nothing to be excited for. And something that a lot of people were hoping to be excited for was, our, was the NBA trade deadline. So jumping straight into the juice, um, our NBA trade deadline, the Magic did make a move. And the move was a trade of the 2020 second round pick that we received from the Los Angeles Lakers to the Sixers for James Ennis. And just a quick shout out to everyone that, you know, joined us on our live stream on YouTube, as well as a live stream on Orlando Magic HQ. I um, Appreciate all of you guys um, listening and watching and joining with us. Um, but what were your initial thoughts of the move and not just of the move itself, but just in general of the NBA trade deadline? So I think, I mean, most of us,
2: we were together in the same same room waiting for this moment, right, like the 3 o'clock to hit and see what Magic would do. I think the honest answer is we wanted more. Um, We knew our limitations. We knew what the team is struggling with, which is scoring the ball. Um, So at the moment, being real, we were disappointed. We were upset. We wanted more. Stepping back and understanding again where the team is at, the injuries, like you mentioned it. Earlier, James Ennis fits just fits. He fills a void that we have right now. We didn't give up anything for him. We we wa- uh, I know we're gonna talk about it pretty soon, but we also waived Emil Jefferson to keep Gary Clark in Orlando. That was a good move because again, we add another shooter to our team. So when you look at the logistics of the team and, and what the moves actually did for us, it didn't cost us anything, and we added value to our team. We added some guys that can shoot, can defend, and can play hard. Um, Did I wish we were making a more splashy move? Yes. I think all fans wanted that. But again, this season at this point is all about making the playoffs. It's surviving this little slump that we're in. Come April, make it to the playoffs. Hopefully it's the seventh seed because if it's the eighth seed, man, it's not going to be pretty. But um, unfortunately this season, Isaac being down, Amino being out, Augustine being out, I think our our plan changed. It's just surviving and making the playoffs now. It's not longer, let's try to be a sixth, a fifth, a fourth seed. It's more of a, let's just make it and keep letting these young guys develop and becoming better uh, over time.
0: Yeah, I agree. Um, everyone who watched the live stream saw that I was obviously disappointed. Um, and I expressed that. I, I had concerns about where the team stood prior to the trade deadline. Um, and then when I saw our front offices approach to what seemed like an urgent situation to me, um, their approach seemed as as though they weren't concerned, um, and this front office is known for kind of picking a plan and sticking to that regardless of what 's happening uh, which which is commendable you know um, but it, again it was it was a situation where I felt that we could have done more. We had initially spoken about the entire, you know, the whole Kelly Oubre to Orlando thing before it was even a possibility. Um, then there was a little bit of chatter that Kelly, you know, was was made available by the Suns. And not only was he made available, that the Magic had reached out to to Phoenix to kind of explore that a little bit. And then when I saw what D'Angelo Russell was traded to Minnesota for, I just felt like it was definitely possible for us to beat those offers uh, and it made me question this front office. But after that, you know, I, I did a bit of research on Ennis. I, I looked up some tape. Um, I looked up what his scouting report was and things like that. And I do feel like he fits an immediate need, um, obviously without the the superstar uh, caliber attached to him. And he is still fairly young. Uh, so there there is a, a real possibility that he comes here. Uh, he's hungry for an opportunity and he, you know he takes he takes this opportunity and becomes something greater than what we we think he can be or think he is currently.
1: Yeah, so I was I was really surprised at the fact that Philly even answered our phone call. <laughs> Honestly, I was really surprised that that was just another uh, the same team. You you would think that after we stole Markel Fultz away, that they would just ban us from any conversation, but that obviously wasn't the case. I was surprised with the move for a simple fact that I was expecting more. And I think that a lot of us were. I think a lot of us were expecting for this front office to do something outside of character. I feel James Ennis was more of a financial band-aid. And I think that's the part that, that kind of frustrates me the most, right? What I mean by financial band-aid, I mean James Ennis, he's a the the type of character that we want. On this team. He's somebody that does have a seven foot wingspan, um, is a player that can shoot the ball, is good defensively, but he's also a player that just signed a two year contract for $3.4 million, right? So he fit everything enough to where it didn't cost us a lot financially. So, I mean, kudos to the front office for doing that, right? I was doing some research afterwards, as, as you guys were, and a lot of the media graded the magic at A. A-plus for this move. Again, he's feeling the void of Amino, and he's feeling the void of Jonathan Isaac. I was hoping and expecting for something sexier, oh, yeah. right? We talked about Kelly Oubre. There was talks about DeMar DeRozan. We heard the Dennis Smith Juniors, and nothing else happened. And for us, I think that it's, we're way past that time, right? Because now the fear is, hey, what do you do with Evan Fournier? Now we're kind of putting the ball in his hands more so than, you know, us having the full advantage, but who knows, maybe at the end of the season, there may be other players more available, but now we have to wait five, six months down the road to figure out what we're going to do with this roster. And to me, it feels as if the front office they're okay with being patient. You know, for us that have been patient since the post Dwight Howard era, you know, we've been patient for the last 10 years. I guess sometimes we just have to remind ourselves that this front office, this is only their third season with us, and their patience tolerance is, you know, there's more in there than it is for us.
2: Yeah, I, I completely agree. And I think, uh, I think their vision is they don't want to make any mistakes. Uh, and, and sometimes that may come to us as fans as, hey, they're being too safe. And that is true. They are being too safe. But I got to say, the moves that they're making, mm-hmm. like, they make logistic, they make their logical moves. They make sense, they're cost efficient. Uh, they're not setting us up to fail in the future. Uh, and even, I mean, Jeff did say in one of the interviews this week um, that they had some big conversations and, and they had some big name players they had in mind to bring to Orlando. But it takes two teams to make those deals. So maybe they threw an offer that was good, but they wanted something much bigger than what we were willing to offer and they walked away. And I'm okay with that. Um, what was surprising to me is for the first time, I think, in a while, Orlando's coming up in discussions, whether it was DeRozan, whether it was Oubre. You're hearing us involved in this talk in these trade talks, and that to me is exciting. Um, we haven't heard that over the past three years. Um, so I think something big is coming, whether it's this offseason, whether it's next trade deadline. Um, Fournier kind of starts it all for us uh, because the year after, we got to pay Isaac, we got to pay Fultz, So big things are coming, and I think it all starts this offseason.
1: But what scares me is the fact that um, Adrian Wojnarowski and Zach Lowe, they both said that they were really surprised that they didn't hear Evan Fournier's name at all. And I think that's the part that scares me the most. Why didn't they hear him? I don't feel as if the Magic really put a focus on moving him right away, and that kind of leads me to believe that – they may be forced to offer him a a contract extension so our new contract
0: one of the one of the things that i was i was kind of confused about was you know while the front office didn't make any moves and you know they kind of want to ride this out this year out see see if we make the playoffs uh see what kind of push we can make in the playoffs one of the things that i kept thinking about was let's hypothetically say that We don't make the playoffs, right? If we don't make the playoffs, that means probably that our core guys did not perform up to the level that they should have, right? If they didn't perform up to that level, that means that now other teams have a longer kind of visual, right, of what they're lacking, what their skill set is right it could detract people from being interested had they had some type of interest during trade deadline now during the off season, they're not interested because they see that those players have regressed or whatever it is so I think it's a dangerous game to play um to play that game you I, I feel like you're kind of banking on the fact that everybody's going to return to what their average is um and I'm not so sure that that's going to be the case
1: you you bring up a good point, Justin, because it kind of works the other way around. Also, like for example, a team like Suns that they were willing to put Kelly Oubre out there to see what type of value that he would bring in, were at some point listening to offers, right? Mm-hmm. Now, what ends up happening is he starts playing well. He just dropped what almost forty 39 points, thirty nine points the yeah. other day. Come towards the second half of the season, then they change their mind. I think that's that's my biggest fear is us losing out on opportunity because maybe we value our players way more than what other teams do. So um, moving on to other Magic juice. Um, Al, you had mentioned it earlier that the Magic waived Mio Jefferson and they signed Gary Clark for the remainder of the season. We also have Aaron Gordon who com- fully confirmed that he will participate in the slam dunk contest. And then... Something that I want to hear your thoughts on. Steve Clifford was fined twenty five thousand dollars by the NBA for abusing officials,
2: and that's uh, that's BS. I'll say I'll say I'll I'll be honest, uh, especially when Dame Lillard did a much worse thing the night bef- the night after, um, and he does not get fined as a player um i get it i i saw it on camera when when clifford went off and what he said It came across it was obvious and yeah it, it was an insult let's, let's be let's be straight um but you gotta let these people be human uh what the referees did that night they maybe cost us a game because uh, the chance to win that game in new york uh, a game that we know we, we should have won he was already upset from the players not performing um I get it. They have a job to do, keep the game clean, keep the game friendly for the kids that are watching. I understand that. But how can you not find Dame Lillard, who took Twitter the next day and did the same thing? Um, so, unfortunately, again, we're Magic. We're the magic. Uh, we don't get the same respect as all the teams. Um, so, it's unfortunate to see it, but it's happened way too often, and that's got to change.
0: So, I'll say this. I think I, I watched um, – Portland versus Utah, I think that situation was a little different. Um, and it was a little different because when for the Magic and Knicks game, um it, it looked like the the referees were ahead of the play. Um and there was the last the last referee was running by Steve when he attempted to call that timeout from the video that I saw. Um, Steve Clifford walked to the referee um in his face. Was kind of cursing the refs out, um, and to me, to the and it it was to the point where other coaches had to step in and pull Cliff away because he was very aggressive in front of the referee. So I think it was a little different. Um, I do think that while while the twenty five thousand dollar fine is warranted. Because obviously he broke uh, that policy. Uh, I do think that there has to be something in place for referees, um, especially when they miss when they miss you know timeout calls or in Dame's situation miss a a goaltend which was clear as day. Right. Um, sadly, that wasn't the case. I think Damian Lillard's comments about the refs um, were. I guess, per se, inappropriate because they're not supposed to be made. Um, But there was no point in time where the referee felt as though he could have been assaulted uh, by the individual. And I think in Clifford's situation, that was a little different. Um, But I, I do agree that the refs did a terrible job. And that's you don't miss you don't miss calling a timeout with under five seconds on the clock in a two point game. Uh, under every circumstance, you would assume that a coach is going to call a timeout in that situation.
1: I mean, Coach Cliff did call him a stupid mother lover, right? So <laughs> I I and that was at it. the
0: end. That was after that he was, was removed. That,
1: yeah, 100%. But uh, Steve Clifford made a valid point after the game and during his his press conference. These are professionals, right? The referees are NBA referees. This isn't high school. This isn't middle school. They know the type of situation that the the teams are in, the amount of time that's left on the clock, the scoreboard, the whole nine. There is three referees on the court. Why is none of them next
0: to Coach Clifford? Well, one was, but he was running parallel to Clifford. Right.
2: But not only yeah. that, but did, did you guys see MCW as well when the rebound yeah. was grabbed? He, he
1: was trying to call the timeout with nine seconds left on the clock. 10.6.
2: Right. 10.6 seconds 10.6, right. And I'm like, you missed that one. I understand. Okay. You missed Cliff five, seven times yelling timeout. Like, I mean, you, you can't do that as a referee. And what I would like the NBA to do is, yeah, you find the coach. Great. Can you also show to us what happened to those refs? Did they get a right. suspension? But we, get... We,
1: won't, we will not never see that, though, because they're not going the to not, not find the refs, right? And if they do find or penalize the refs financially, it's not anything that's ever been in the history of the NBA, something that's been reported publicly. True. Ima- imagine the type of stuff that would happen if that were the case, right? I'm sure that there is some type of um, corrective action for the referees in some sense, and the fact that uh, I'm sure that... You know they either get penalized by not getting games, whatever case may be. The problem is we will never ever know what that is, yeah. right? Uh, truthfully, does anybody really remember the name of the referees, what they look like, the whole nine? It's really hard to be able to do that. But you're right; there has to be some type of uh, of accountability. And the tough part is one game in this NBA is really the difference, especially with how the East is is so close in 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 seeds of Eighth, seventh, ninth,
2: tenth. Yeah. I mean I mean, look at last year. Brooklyn and the Magic were tied at the end of the season. And that one game could have meant we were the seventh seed instead. So either you play Milwaukee or you play potentially the heel, whoever it is. Right. You know, and again, I know the NBA sees it as it's only one game. It's one mistake. We own up to it. Great. But at the end of the season, when we miss the playoffs by one game or you end up playing Milwaukee instead of whoever, it costs us it means a lot.
0: So that's well, that's one of the points that they made. Like it, it, you know, it doesn't matter if you find the refs. It doesn't matter if you take any action against the ref. That's still a L. Exactly. It stills going to go on their record. There's no there's no correction that could be made for costing a team a game.
1: That's right. One game could be the difference of drafting Trey Young or Mobile. Oh Obama. God!
2: Oh my goodness! Yes.
1: <laughs> Seriously, that's touchy, that's touchy how. Subject. That's how important <laughs> these games are. And it's, it's something that has to be taken care of as such. Yeah. So really, really disappointing. Um, and I'm sure that Steve Clifford, he's okay with paying that fine because the point was – Oh, big. yeah. Oh, and yeah. The, fact, the fact that it happened so close together also, I – It was would the next night, wasn't it? The, ne- yeah. the next night. I would imagine that there was a big conversation happening. Was it with the same refs? No, no, I couldn't be. Imagine. Couldn't be. Imagine. we oh, man. <laughs> so um, let, let's jump into pass or shoot. And the big question that everyone's asking is, will the Magic make the playoffs? Yeah. So I'll shoot on that.
0: Um, I'm going to pass.
1: I'm shooting, but it's only because the East is so weak. Yeah, it's more on the rest of the teams behind us, more so than the actual team that we have on the floor.
2: That's right. And that's exactly my thinking as well. So my thinking is, even through our slump that we're going through right now, we still have a three-game lead against Chicago right now, Uh, four-game lead against Detroit, uh, over Detroit, Um, and we're only two behind the nets right now for the seventh seed. And that's with us losing eight out of the last ten. Uh, which I expect us fully to really recuperate from this and, and come back playing better after the all-star break. Um, so I just don't see those teams catching up to us. Uh, it might be too late for them to to make up that ground.
0: Yeah, but we're three, the Wizards are three and a half games behind Orlando right now. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not saying that Orlando definitely won't make the playoffs, but there is there is such little room for error. And this team has shown you that on a 10 game sample they could go they could go ahead and lose eight of those games if another 10 games happen the way that these last 10 have gone down guess what we're out so you know and, and if that does happen we're not just out we're out we're in a position where it'll be almost impossible to get back in it so it's one of those things where it's like you know we obviously want our, our team to make the playoffs right we want to be there we want to feel that atmosphere we want to celebrate this team but i think that there has to be a hundred percent focus there has to be zero egos in the locker room and everyone has to be you know kind of concentrated and committed to the same goal uh, for us to be able to to succeed in that in that way
1: and al you have posted on the ozone pod on instagram that um jeff wolman during his interview with espn live local and loud. He said, we do not expect Jonathan Isaac back. We always look to take the cautious approach. So we're not getting him back. We had hopes, especially with mm-hmm. the NBA denying the, the exception, his injury exception that he would make it back. It doesn't seem likely, even if he is healthy and, and ready mm-hmm. to go, it doesn't seem as if they would rush him back by any means because they want to make sure that he's his injury is okay. So I think if it wasn't for the fact that we did bring a player like James Ennis that can kind of change the dynamic, because we don't know how much of an impact player he really is with this squad, right? Right. But at at the same time, it it does give me a little hold because it kind of it kind of brings it back to normality with the filling the void of those two, of those two players. Now something that I saw online that kind of caught my attention: the Chicago Bulls. They hold the record for the least amount of wins and still making the playoffs. So this is the 1985 Bulls that they made the playoffs with a record of 30 and 52. Right now, the Magic are... We, we've we won a total of 22 games this season. Is there a chance that the Magic might beat that record in a bad way?
2: I don't think so. I think that, again, they'll find a way to pick it up. And, and I do see them. They have, what, 29 games left? Um, I'm predicting to finish at least with 36 to 38 wins uh, this season. Um, so that means they got to go 14 and – 14, 14 and 12, whatever it is, the last, the last few games. Um, I mean, for us to only win 30 games this year, we would really have to just go in a complete drought and, God forbid, another injury. Uh, but I really don't think so.
0: But do, do you think, you know, with 29 games left, it is entirely possible – that this team goes 9-20, and
2: 20, right? I don't think so, to be honest. I, I just don't see it. Due to our schedule, it's fireball. We have the second easiest schedule the rest of the way. And I, I know we just lost to the Knicks, but, again, once the All-Star break is over, I feel like, again, our, our guys are going to be able to go on a quick vacation, come back, and just regroup. After that, James Ennis, I know he's not a big name, but I think he will help us fill a void. Uh, and that might be just enough for us to, to, to win some games
1: that we currently are losing. Oh, you sound like you're reading off the talking points from John Hammond and Jeff Walton.
2: Right. <laughs> I, did, I did listen to it this morning.
1: <laughs> that sounds exactly what they said on all their, all their media interviews that they've done this week.
2: Hey, I guess they got to me. <laughs> <laughs> all
1: right, so our next pass and shoot question. James Ennis and Gary Clark, they'd be the difference maker in our playoff push. Shoot.
0: Um, I'm gonna I'm gonna shoot as well.
1: I'm gonna pass. I I think that granted, they're what they're gonna add is, uh, and I just mentioned that they're gonna bring a little normality. Again, I'm just not confident of how much of an impact player both of them are. Obviously, they bring on the shooting. Um, Gary Clark comes from the the Houston push push shoot offense that they have over there, and and you have a player like James Ennis that was around somewhat of a winning culture in Philadelphia. I just don't think that it's really, really enough to kind of steer this boat. They're, they're not, to me, they're not that type of player that just by the addition of them, immediately we're thinking playoffs.
2: So why I'm shooting is I compare their additions to MCW last year and before that, um, Briscoe, before he got hurt. It's just we're filling a void uh, that we currently have. Last year was a point guard position. This year is a small forward and power forward to some degree. Uh, and these are guys that are hungry, that are aggressive, that play hard. Uh, so they fit that, they fit that bill. Um, if they come in hungry, they'll just gonna make us that much better because we don't have anyone right there right now at those positions that have been able to fill it. And while I've been loving what Iwondo has shown us, one thing you cannot deny is he's still afraid to shoot the ball. Um, both Ennis or Clark, they're not afraid to shoot it. When they're open, they're going to shoot it. Um, so I think that alone might make us good enough for us to have them make a difference in our team and, and be that little push that we need to make the playoffs.
0: Yeah, I think uh, I think they'll be difference makers. I think Gary Clark is going to be a difference maker, not necessarily in a scoring, um, you know, output or his scoring contribution for the team I think where he's going to make a, a real difference is second chance opportunities I think Gary Clark is one of those guys that just, you know just like MCW doesn't give up on plays gives a lot of effort defensively and I've you know said this time and time and again um, but I think under certain circumstances where the game is tight uh, and the game slows down and you know you you get those miss missed shots I think Gary Clark is big enough to play under the the rim um, and steal some some uh, second chance opportunities allowing us more opportunities to score because obviously we're not scoring on the first attempt as much as we should.
1: And I think that we'll, we'll have a better, a better look at it. Hopefully by tomorrow, tomorrow's game, we play against the Atlanta Hawks and we'll actually be at that game uh, with the whole ozone crew, but it allows us to be able to see, Know, James Ennis in person. So we'll, we'll be able to see whether or not he really is an impact player. He only had a couple of days here in Orlando. Gary Clark seemed to be the type of player that he caught on quick. So we're really hoping that we're able to see that, that type of adaptability from James Ennis. Um, but let's get into get it off your chest. Now, this one was pretty fun because I feel like it's therapeutic for <laughs> a, a, lot of, a lot of the fans out there watching this team. And the very first one comes from Nate Turner on Twitter. Um, this This one came from the reply from the Zone BB. So honestly confused is where I'm at with the Magic. I understand it's hard without our best defensive player, but we could well be the biggest bipolar team in the NBA. I'm just looking for consistency in our play. But one night we shoot and defend, the other night we don't. Magic fan for life though. Is this team bipolar? Oh, yeah. yes. Yeah.
2: <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh, man, I think he, he's speaking what we all think. Um, I mean, after a game against the Knicks, I just shut off the TV and I went to bed and I'm like, I'm done. Like, I, just, I, I can't keep doing this to myself. Then you wake up the next day. You're like, oh, man, we play the Bucks tomorrow. You're excited to go to the game the next day. Uh, and that's the life of Magic fan. I think that's, a, that's the life of many NBA teams around the NBA. Um, it hasn't been pretty. Uh, it's been a struggle. But at the end of the day, like you said, it. We're Magic fans for life. So we are going to be going through this and we're going to find a way to, to see the positives. And that for me yesterday was Markell hitting two 3 three-pointers in that game. Yeah, That to me made my whole night. I'm like, all right, I, we lost, but that made my night.
0: I agree. I think this team is definitely hot and cold a lot. Uh, I think that that just comes with finding their consistency. And until they have a player who can produce at a consistent level, that's obviously going to continue to happen. Um, but I'm entrusting in this front office that they are, you know, in fact, working toward creating that stability in Orlando.
1: I get Nate because what makes it confusing is our expect our expectations. And before the season started, our expectations was, man, we're going to do a lot better than we did last year. We
0: oh, thought man. this was going to be a 50-win team.
1: Yeah, we 100, thought, 100% on thought we were going to be a 50, uh, 50-win team because we thought, Okay, we're adding Markel Foltz. Markel Foltz, as long as he's better than DJ Augustine, DJ Augustine goes to the bench. Now our bench is better. Oh, and then also this is Aaron Gordon's year. Aaron Gordon's going to go off. Evan Fournier had a bad season last year. There's no way that he does it again this year. So there was a lot of different things that, you know, really forced us to believe that this was going to be a year that, you know, we're realistically talking, you know, fifth, sixth in the East. And that obviously isn't the case as of now. Um, this next one comes from CL West 25 This one comes from the Magic HQ Instagram page. I've literally watched every game over the past 14 years, and this is the first year I genuinely don't really give a shit to watch anymore. Only exciting person to watch is Markel, and he's honestly starting to disappoint me. Really need J.I. back Man,
2: that's, that's rough. Uh...
1: He got it off his chest.
2: He did. And and I'm glad. That's what we're doing the segment for. Uh the Markel piece though, man, that's that's surprising. I feel like Markel, yeah, he's not shooting enough. Uh, that piece I understand. He's not as aggressive as I think we want him to be. Um, last night, perfect example. He struggled to shoot the ball, but he kept shooting it. I think if he can't do that more often, man, like that kid is gonna be a superstar in the in the very near future. Um, but yeah, that piece of Markel threw me off a little
0: bit no i think i i definitely understand when when you have a point guard like dj augustine who performed so high like so so far above expectations the year before and now you have this guy who comes in who had you know all of his troubles and whatnot but they they move that point guard who had so much success to the bench unit you expect this starting point guard to be better um and there are times where it doesn't seem like that's what's happening. Uh, I think obviously he's inconsistent as well. That comes from not playing as much as he probably should have by now in his career um, and kind of just adapting and finding his overall game in the NBA. Cause again, he didn't play that much, uh, but it is definitely something that I can understand creates stress, um, confusion and, 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 you know, it's just it's annoying because you, you want this team, again, to perform at a consistent level and it's not happening. And the guy who's handling the ball, who you who you expect to kind of take the team to the next level, seems to be kind of plateauing at this stage in, in, the, in the year. Um, I don't think that Markel is the issue, but I could definitely understand how somebody watching the game could could think that.
1: We got to be easier on Markel Foltz. Markel Fultz has played a total of 85 games. I agree.
0: So That's a total right. of
1: 85 games. He just finished playing a whole entire season of, of NBA basketball, right? He's finally at the point where now, games-wise, this is season two, and he's now starting to fully develop. Markel Foltz is going to be dangerous year three and year four. Right now, we got we to gotta be patient this year is for him to be able to find himself as an NBA player. Next year is going to be a year about his, uh, what he's able to do in the off season with his franchise and, and work on his shooting ability. Year three, year four is where I think that he is going to be a player that is going to be dangerous in the East. So I get the frustrations. It's not all on Markel Fultz, but he is, out of all the players, a player that we have to be way more patient with. Yeah. Right. That's right. So this last get off your chest comes from LeJuan James, who says, who else is exhausted from all the losing? Is his team exhausting to watch?
0: So, yes, I agree with LeJuan. I think um, I know from my personal experience that you guys know, because I, I kind of keep you in the loop all the time with our, our little uh, group chats. I definitely get frustrated. Uh, because there there are times where it seems like we 're and i 'm sure Le huang probably sees it like this too where we 're making it seems like we 're making the same mistakes over and over again um, from from you know coaching adjustments to when, when plays are called, when timeouts are called, who's on the court when, who's on the court together, um, it seems like it just, it's, it's the same mistake over and over again. And that, to me, becomes frustrating uh, because if you're trying different things and it's not working, that's one thing. But to try the same thing over and over when you know it's not working, something entirely different.
2: Yeah, and I think you can, you can just, I mean, the amount of leads that we've blown just in the last two months, uh, the amount of times that some random guy off the bench comes and just kills us, uh, hitting three after three, um, it's the same story every night, it feels like. And that's, I think, what Juan is attesting a to. Is that you watch the games and you feel, hey, this is the night that we're going to not lose the way we've been losing for the last two three months. And yet it happens again. Actually, let me rephrase that. Since last year, it's a Clifford issue because since last year we've been blowing up 20-point leads, 18-point leads on a nightly basis, it feels like. Um, It's weird because I feel like when we go up early in a game by 12, 15 points, I'm like, crap, we're going to end up blowing this lead. And when we start struggling the game and we're down 10, 8 points, I'm like, okay, we're going to play really well now. We're going to win this game. Um, So I think that part of it is really, really stressful. I can never watch a Magic game just kick my legs up and say – I'm enjoying this game tonight because unfortunately uh, we just don't wear the magic.
1: (laughs) I think we're at the point where we're playing so bad. We're not meeting our expectations. So if you're a magic fan and you're one watching the magic two listening to this podcast, you are officially a diehard fan. Yep. Because in order to be able to watch the product that we have on the floor right now, you have to really love this team. And it's something that is exhausting to do, especially if you're if you follow, if you really follow the team, you're on Instagram, you're on magic Twitter, and you're you're watching every game, you're 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 consuming a lot of magic content in a time frame where we're not doing well. And I think it it's super exhausting, it's super frustrating. I don't think that it's something that will last too much longer. But I would just say be, be patient with it because it, it can only be bad for so long. Eventually, something good has to happen, or at least I hope.
0: So that's a Knicks fans.
1: <laughs> you know what? And I, and, I, and I joke around, and I say this pretty often, and I always say things could always be worse. You could always be a Knicks fan.
2: Hey, they just beat us, so uh, let's hope it's a fluke.
1: <laughs> yeah, you see what I mean? All <laughs> right. But uh, getting into the week ahead. So upcoming, we have tomorrow's game against the Atlanta Hawks. We have Wednesday's game against the Pistons and then all-star break until February 21st. So we have the Hawks that um, Clint Capella will not be playing that game. And then we have a team like Detroit that just recently traded in um, Andre Drummond, who doesn't have Blake Griffin because he's still dealing with his injury. And it, to me... I want to say this is an easy two wins, but you know with this team, it's never the case.
2: Man, I got to say, if we don't win these two games, even if we go one and one, it's not going to be pretty going to the all-star break. It already is not pretty, but we got to get these two wins. We got to go into the all-star break knowing, hey, we got two wins back to back. Let's take a week off. Let's come back and just finish the season strong. Um, Like you mentioned, the Hawks, I mean, they got Trey Young. That guy is a killer, but they did play tonight. Uh, they lost a tough game. They play, I think, two overtimes. So they should be tired by the time they get here to Orlando. We were resting today. We have to play better. Um, and then Detroit, like you mentioned, very, very shorthanded. Uh, it, is a, it is a trap game, though. It's the game before the all-star break. That's always a tough game because people always take it easy. They're thinking vacation mode. Um, hopefully we don't fall in that trap. Uh, but I'm really excited to see what uh, James Ennis looks like. Uh, quick question, though. Do you guys think he starts tomorrow? or? or Soon, or is he going to be off the bench?
0: I think I think he'll be off the bench because our our team coaching staff front office is like the safest guys True. on planet Earth. Um, so I will say the Hawks actually won tonight, uh, double overtime, one forty to one thirty
2: five.
0: The Magic haven't scored over one twenty, 120, like one twenty seven, I think this year. But anyway, what's crazy to me is that you know we give all of this credit to Trey Young, which is obviously founded, right? Trey Young is insane can can literally shoot from anywhere in the arena um but listen to this Trey Young 48 points uh John Collins who I think is going to be super dangerous against us 32 points DeAndre Hunter 19 points Kevin Herter 16 points Dwayne Dedman their new center edition, um 10 points I I don't, I don't think that this game against Atlanta is going to be easy. Um, and I honestly, I don't know if we'll win. I don't know if we'll win. I think, like I said, they have shooters. They have guys who are enjoying playing together. And um, it'll be interesting to see. I'm hoping for that win, but I, I'm not too sure.
2: And let's not forget, we're actually 0-2 against the Hawks this season already. So
0: yep.
2: it's going to be a tough one. Uh, John Collins, Isaac played him really, really well. But now having Isaac tomorrow, let's see who steps up. Should be Gordon, but let's see what happens.
1: Yeah. So Atlanta, in the last fourteen games, um, they've scored over a hundred points in the game, and five of those games they've scored over one hundred and twenty points in that game. So we know yeah. it's going to be um, an offensive battle for sure coming from Atlanta. So the, this has to be um, a game that you know the Magic are are fully focused because you're right. It's you know, two games before the NBA trade deadline, everyone's already thinking, relaxing and, and hanging out with the family and just kind of unwinding a little bit. And that can't be the case. There's no way that we can, one, go 0-2 before the All-Star break. We have to be able to end the first half of the season on a positive note.
2: Quick question, guys. What's the game of the week this week? I know last week, I know we didn't record last week in the middle of the week, but it was the, the Heat game. Um, what about this week? What do we got?
0: It has to be Atlanta. The Hawks.
2: Yeah, the Hawks. We'll be there tomorrow, all of us. So that should be yeah.
1: fun. for the Hawks game, I'm giving it a win for the simple fact that I am going to be there. And normally, when I go <laughs> to the games, is always a W. So I'm putting us as a win.
2: I got you as well. I, I got a win tomorrow as well.
0: Yep, I'm I'm uh, I'm torn, but I I think we lose. I think we lose. I hope we win because I I want a a jersey sign from uh, Fournier, and if we lose, it'll make that all more all the more difficult to get. But I I think we'll lose.
1: Don't lie to yourself. You want us to win so that he signs nicely. If he loses, (laughs) it's going to be a sloppy signature. Right. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So let's close this out. Final thoughts.
2: Final thoughts is, uh, like I said a few minutes ago, we cannot go one and one. We cannot go 0-2. Give me two wins. Uh, It's going to be a sucky week without any Magic basketball the week ahead. Uh, but we got to go into the break with two wins no excuses
0: yeah final thoughts is for me is um if we do anything less than 2-0 this week uh we're in real danger of of losing that 8th seed and we fall further behind Brooklyn at a minimum um so we don't we don't want that uh want that to happen so i agree with that we got to go 2-0 this
1: team needs a confidence booster we need some some W's under the belt, so I am gonna final thoughts is Aaron Gordon will win the slam dug contest. he's gonna come out with some crazy. We need some positive um, Orlando Magic content out in the national media, and this will allow it to happen. So I got Aaron Gordon winning it, and I hope that the time I I am praying, and this is what this is what I've created in my mind. I am expecting for the two finalists to be Aaron Gordon versus Dwight Howard.
0: Oh, man, that would be that would be dope. And then we see Aaron Gordon come out with like an NBA Live 06, doing throwing the ball off the jumbotron, doing a cartwheel and and slamming it down in in Chicago. (laughs)
1: Listen, uh, Aaron Gordon comes from the the new era of dunkers. So I am foreseeing the old school NBA Live double between the legs dunk. That's what, that's my, those are my, it's never been done in an NBA slam dunk contest, but it's been out and around. People have done it. It's something that people have successfully done. I'm like, predicting that Aaron Gordon will do that at the NBA slam dunk contest.
2: What if he does the same dunk that, that no, he between can't. the legs?
1: He can't.
2: Uh, man, I think if he does that again, like, no, that there's to no me, way he
1: can. That he, to already, me. he already said that he won't. He already, he already talked, he already talked to Shaq. Shay he already said well, he, nah. you know he was a little bit um let's let's leave it there. <laughs> and Dwayne Dwayne Wade is supposed to be a, a judge this time around. Yeah, probably.
0: Dwayne Wade and Candace Parker.
1: Yeah. Man. So between the legs, double between the legs, between the left, between the right, Sam Dunk, Aaron Gordon wins it versus Dwight Howard is gonna be crazy. It's gonna be an awesome show.
2: My prediction is it goes to the finals uh with
0: uh Jones from the Heat. Derek Jones. Jr. Derek yeah. Jones.
2: I think Derek Jones and Dwight and, and um, Gordon in the finals. I'm
0: going to go out on a limb and say AG versus Pat Connaughton in Hell the no. finals. <laughs>
1: <laughs> who, who even, listen, who even remembers that name?
0: Well, I, I did you I remember did you it up?
1: Did you no, I remember Pat right Connaughton
0: now? because Pat Connaughton actually got offers for the NBA and uh, Major League Baseball. He was one oh, of those guys, played two sports in college. So I always thought he was interesting. Uh, but yeah, he's not. I don't think I don't think he's gonna win. I Bro, mean. when they
1: when they came out and said that he was gonna be the last participant, one, I was disappointed because that should have been Zach Levine. I'm pissed off that you know he didn't want to do it and decided to do the three point contest. And two, I have no idea who that dude is.
0: <laughs> Zach don't want that smoke. <laughs> he does not.
1: And we just played against Milwaukee and we didn't see any of it. So there's that. But uh great episode, guys. Thank you so much for listening
0: and this is a wrap. Peace. Peace out, Peace. people. Thank you for listening to the Ozone Podcast, the voice of magic fans.
1: Be sure to visit our website, theozonepod.com. And remember to subscribe, rate, and leave a review on all your favorite podcast listening platforms.